I'm Steve, and boy, I'm sure you were thinking, man, the, the guys, they really started off with a bang in 2022. We had, you know, David Lynch, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, and I'm sure that's going to set the pace for 2022, and uh, they're going to be covering nothing but the classics, the best of the best, talking real capital C cinema. Isn't that right, Jack Eason? Uh, I'm going to have to issue a formal apology. This, this is all on me. Normally, it's Steve's <laughs> fault. Uh, but guys, it was it was late through through Christmas vacation. I was sitting around looking for something to watch. Came across Tommy Boy on Netflix, as you do. Had that on. Bo Derek appears. You start thinking mm. about, oh, yeah, Bo Derek. She was like a thing for a while. And you, things start coming together. You think you're you're having fun. And next thing you know, you're on this podcast. Having watched this array of movies. So, yeah, mm-hmm. sorry, Steve. Sorry, Jake. Um, yeah, I mean, you don't again. have to apologize to me. I've certainly, you know, committed my sins here on this podcast. But Jake, Jake deserves an apology. You know, after, I mean, last week was like the week of Jake. And then this is what you do to follow it up. <laughs> I tried. I wanted to grab 2020, 20, 2022. I can't fucking speak. The, these movies have melted my brain. I wanted to grab the year and steer us in better directions. This mm-hmm. is going to be a beautiful, fruitful time for the podcast I think you even said last week's episode is doing great because people recognize those as movies people love. And I had a great time talking about them. But boy, I am going to have to muster up something to talk about what we watched for this week. Oh, yeah. I, I love I love the uh, the trajectory and the uh, the self-sabotage of optimism vaccine. There's this wonderful scene in a little film called Swept Away, which we may be talking about later, <laughs> wherein um, yeah, Madonna shoots a dinghy boat with a uh, flare gun. And that's that's kind of how this podcast functions. So, uh, oh, shout out to friend of the show, Ryan Swen, who upon learning we did David Lynch's L.A. trilogy said, oh, you guys did good movies this week. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I took that to heart. I was like, that seems like a challenge. Yeah. Um, so here, here we are, absolute backwards. You know, I mean, everyone's seen David Lynch. You know, ugh, yeah. whatever. Who who has actually sat through the entirety of Cutthroat Island? We uh, have not not many people. And and so, in case you're wondering, why why are we covering Swept Away? Why are we covering Cutthroat Island? Is this a uh, a swashbuckling episode? Is it the long talked about but never executed boat cast wherein we do an episode dedicated Holy shit, to I'd boat forgot movies? About, I'd forgotten about boat cast. We still <laughs> yeah. we can never make boat cast. Can never it's, make boat cast. It'll never live up to the to the dreams we've had about it. Yeah. So no, this is not a boat cast, believe it or not. Uh Jack wanted to do a podcast about Hollywood wife guys. Now, what is a wife guy? And that's a good question. You should know the answer, but we're going we're gonna to hold your hand on this one. So think of a wife guy as someone who sort of defines their existence by their wife. Like they're, they're, and basically, they use their wife and their love of their wife as kind of a public display to seem virtuous to other people. 
great example of the wife guy is that guy from uh, a few years ago. Uh, oh, what is his name? Uh, oh, Jesus. Robbie Tripp is the guy I'm thinking of. So this was back in 2017, a simpler time. And uh, he was, I, I, we're not going to call him the OG wife guy, but he kind of got the wife guy phenomenon uh, really into the zeitgeist. And he took a picture of his wife, who's a perfectly like normal looking woman. And he wrote this long Instagram caption about how much he loves his curvy wife. And basically it, it was, it was like a weird, one of those weird things where he's like, yeah, her folds of skin consume me and she's a fatty McFatso slobber slob, but I love her. I love her. I want to blow raspberries on her big tum tum. I love her so much. I love this big curvy wife of mine. So he's basically talking shit about her, but also making it seem like he just fucking took a bullet for the president because he married a, a woman who is, you know, slightly more curvaceous. Um, th this is the wife guy in a nutshell. It is, it is using his love of his wife to prop himself up and, and kind of foregrounding that relationship for his own benefit. So he is, he is the wife guy and history is, is full of wife guys. You know, uh, some would say John Lennon wife guy, right? Come on. Prince Harry. Oh, <laughs> definitely a wife guy. Are you fucking kidding me? Look at that schmuck. He's got nothing without his wife. Uh, I, did you know Henry Kissinger's a fucking wife guy? Can you believe Henry Kissinger's wife is alive? They're both like 3,000 euros. This is, this is proof that they drink baby blood. I oh, mean, 100%. It, it, yeah. Yeah. They're, they, they're both like fucking 90. They predate, they predate the Great Depression. They're older than the fucking Spanish flu, just being alive and bombing Cambodia. Insane. But, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, clearly a wife guy. So, uh, really, no matter where you look, there is a wife guy. And Hollywood is uh, it's full of them full of wife guys. And you see this all the time where, uh, you know, uh, maybe, maybe a director, uh, will, you know, marry a beautiful woman and, and make sure to cast her in, uh, all of his films, you know, finding his muse or, uh, you know, it's vice versa, I suppose is possible. And there's a long history of that as well, which brings us to the wife guys we'll be discussing today. R real and, quick, uh, brief, brief update on Robbie Tripp. He's got a, a hit single out called, uh, Chubby Sexy. Apparently he's a rapper. No. Jesus. That's great. That's really wonderful. I, you know, I was thinking about that. I was like, this piece of shit needs a rap song. And there it is. There it is. So yeah, buy that Robbie Tripp single streaming on. Uh, do, do we happen know, to know, Spotify. is he, is he still married? Cause honestly, that, that should be the barometer. I mean, if she's going to stick with him through the, through the original Instagram post or whatever, probably they're probably set for life. Yeah, I would imagine. Holy shit. Chubby Sexy's got over a million plays on fucking Spotify. Are you kidding yeah. me? Oh, yeah. Jesus it's, Christ. It's it's awful what uh, fame does to people. Well, I mean, yeah, to be fair, I think throughout the throughout the course of this podcast, we're going to be discussing how the world is a cruel and unjust place. Yeah, I, I think. Wow. Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm like really obsessed with Chubby Sexy right now. I got to. Oh God! Are you guys hearing this? No, but I'm oh. guessing you might drop it in later. Oh yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna have to drop oh, that in man. later. 
I don't think I have, sexy is gonna please don't tail off the end of the episode there's we'll just have, like it, this <sighs> intro is horrible it sounds like um like one of those rubber chicken toys where steve, you squeeze the stomach and it goes Aah! steve That's we're gonna run out of friends of the show if you if you keep this up you're right all the, good, right. All the goodwill we've built with last week is gone it is because we're, we're talking about chubby sex. Is this because David Lynch? Lynch David Lynch is not a wife guy. David Lynch is like no. you know, straight up. He's he's you know as they say, he's a, a woman chad. in trouble guy. Well, yeah, he's a woman in trouble guy, but he's he's just he's inconspicuous and unassuming, and just you know works with the ladies at a level that most men could only dream of. But mm. he's not a wife guy, so you Definitely know he doesn't belong here. Guy. We've reset things. We're back. We're back where we belong, where we deserve to be, frankly. Yeah, yeah. we're we're that space like in, in a public toilet, like just the little crack between two stalls. That's where we reside. Um, OK, well, out of all the Hollywood wife guys that have existed over the years and continue to exist, I'm sure you're wondering which wife guys did you choose podcast and uh, to which we say, well, why not? A few people who, you know, have, have literally like bankrupted studios with their wife guy powers. And uh, there's there's no one more powerful in the white guy in the white guy wife guy sphere than Rennie Harlan. And you might remember him as uh, the guy who directed your dad's third favorite action film. And it doesn't actually matter what your dad's third favorite action film is, because I guarantee Rennie Harlan directed it. Oh, it's Die Hard 2? Yeah, he's got that. Wait a second, is it Cliffhanger? Sure, he's got that one too. See, it just goes on and on and on and on. Is it uh, uh, The Adventures of Fort Fairlane? Uh, I certainly hope so. Can I hang out with your dad? <laughs> <laughs> oh! Hey! <laughs> hey, Ickery Dickery Doc, uh, your wife such my cock. That's me talking to Gina Davis. Sorry, Rennie. Um, no, so Rennie Harlan, wife guy, married Gina Davis. So you've got uh, the king of action films that you don't maybe hate but really don't like that much. And uh, you've got a very accomplished actress who has done, her career is it's pretty fucking amazing. She's got quite the resume. And you know, one thing, though, I never saw Gina Davis as a real action star. And Cutthroat Island is a movie that might prove why that is. Um, but imagine, if you will, like, what is this movie at its core? And it's an entire cast of people who don't give a fuck, just sleepwalking through the whole thing. And yet, it is the most expensive-looking action film I can remember seeing in, in a very long time. Like, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything where I look at it and go, oh, my God, this cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, Cutthroat Island came out in 1995, and this, and this is key, right? Because it's sort of right on the cusp of everything is shot, you know, in front of a green screen on a, in a studio set versus you know, practical effects and stunts and everything. And this was like, oh, you know, the computer technology is not there yet. So I, we built fucking boats for this movie. And, and that's kind of where we're at with Cutthroat Island. Right. And, and I mean, I have some sympathy for this because like on paper, this seems like a movie people would enjoy. 
you know, and with a big, you know, when they kept asking for money, it would make sense. Like, you know, it's so big and, and lavish and everyone likes pirate adventures. And yet there's no animating spark to this whatsoever. It's incredible. This is um, Rennie Harlan and Gina Davis, I believe, are no longer together. Now, it's not necessarily because of this film, but I think looking back, we all know the signs were there. This is just a, this is just a not not a not a great chunk of cinema. Uh, well, Reddy Harlan, the reason why he I mean, he's not a wife guy anymore is because um, he made a, a classic wife guy mistake. And, uh, you know, some people think like, oh, don't sleep with your secretary. But a real screw up is when you sleep with your wife's secretary, which is what Rennie Harlan did. And so Gina Davis left him. (laughs) Is it possible Gina Davis delegated that task? Uh, I mean, I've seen pictures of Rennie and I, I don't know. I mean, he's probably a handsome devil. He has this real like I'm from Finland look about him, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, good square jaw on him, but uh, ultimately, I can't imagine he's aged particularly well. So, um, yeah, I, I would delegate that task in a heartbeat. Um, I would also say that uh, Rennie Harlan, another thing that makes him a great wife guy is he's got like the the bonehead feminism thing going, where he doesn't quite understand it, but he thinks he does. So, the fun thing that Cutthroat Island does, or it thinks it's fun, but it's not, is it's completely anemic and joyless and weirdly expensive, but it thinks that it's smart because it gender swaps the swashbuckling hero and the like, oh, I'm a damsel in distress. And it does nothing. Like it's it's done in lip service only and it, it doesn't fucking matter. It's the laziest thing I've ever seen. Oh, it's it's a kind of yeah, it's a kind of setup that makes you, God, it almost makes you wish like, boy, Josh Whedon, he really he he nailed that just a couple of years later. I and mean, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie had come out prior to this, but this you know Whedon was on his way up, but he hadn't really there wasn't like the Whedon kind of effect yet. Um, with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show, I guess, really cemented that. And this lacks any of the like sass and kind of like pizzazz and zing of that which when Buffy came on TV was still relatively fresh and it was only later on that we realized that Joss Whedon's feminism just actually happened to just be his kinks they just overlapped (laughs) in the 90s at a specific point um yeah this has like uh, like you say it's just it's very flat it doesn't have any kind of like uh, kind of, there's, there's no spark to it, and yeah, it's just it's not fun at all. Even though no. it should be, it doesn't look like anyone's enjoying themselves. The action is very big, but seems beyond the scope of anyone in it. Gina Davis's stunt double has an inordinate amount of screen time in this. Yeah, um, she's working hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she and I'm and honestly, I think in a lot of scenes it might be a guy. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a guy, uh, which is like long curly hair. Um. Just this film has, it's this incredibly misguided kind of a misadventure. And uh, so far as I can recall, this like pretty much tanked pirate movies, which, you know, is pretty impressive. It's impressive to take down an entire genre with your wife guy antics. So well done, Rennie Harlan. Yeah, Yeah, this is just, uh, I mean, like you said, it's really expensive and you can you can see all the money on the screen. That's for sure. But it is just all in service of just such a dull joyless two-hour slog like this movie clocks in at 124 minutes and 
like just right from the opening scene the gina davis she's her she's morgan adams she's just got done fucking some dude in some nice room somewhere which is that's a recurring thing we'll see in all these movies as these directors like to film their wives having sex with some guy and uh he pulls out this pistol and says ah the great morgan adams i finally have you dead to rights or some shit and he fires and the gun clicks and then she holds out her hands and she says i've got your balls and then jumps out the window and i guess that that's supposed to be like the the fist pump feminist cheer moment like oh yeah this is not your daddy's swashbuckler this is this is mommy's movie but uh no it's uh, it's just it's just terrible it's just so flat and unengaging and i could not have been more bored throughout <laughs> yeah i feel like the i've got your balls line was like the pitch meeting kind that, of yeah, thing that they had, had to have was, been and, and it's like it, you know that's and that's the movie guys girl power spice girls all that stuff was big was coming in you know let's let's get on that you know the rising tide lifts all of our pirate ships that we spend an inordinate amount of money making and it but the rest of the film doesn't even have those kind of jokes it, it really just becomes a kind of a very pedestrian adventure yarn like we we keep saying it looks very expensive they built so many sets it's like friggin popeye up there like everything looks custom built mm-hmm. and huge um there's people everywhere in every shot it's just a lo- like the logistics of this film look incredible uh, but normally that's not really what we're looking for in movies uh, logistics is not really our our key artistic focal point <laughs> so you know and, and beyond that it just becomes like gina davis is like a kick-ass pirate and it's like okay great but you know is do we care about her adventure do we want her to succeed yeah like why do we want her to succeed just because her her dad dies and she takes over and it was like oh even the crew aren't even that opposed they're like you know would you have a woman lead you and pretty much the entire crew except for one guy who becomes a bit important later on like yeah sure whatever and that's that tension's gone and then she she just leads the crew and she finds Matthew Modine being sold as a slave and he's supposed to be I mean I, we've discussed this Carrie Elwes pretty much except it's Matthew oh. Modine which is super weird as well who hires Matthew Modine to play budget Carrie Elwes how on earth is it swapped so that Modine is the budget version of him it's yeah you know, and you could get him he's not that expensive <laughs> he and he probably be. still has cultural cachet at that point and here's here's the thing like the the way that they got to Matthew Modine is nuts. So here are people who passed on the part that eventually went to Matthew Modine just doing, you know, a bargain basement Carrie L's impersonation. Uh, Jeff Bridges turned it down. Michael Douglas was rumored heavily turned it down. Uh, Michael Keaton turned it down. Liam Neeson turned it down. Uh, Keanu Reeves turned it down. Charlie Sheen was offered $7 million and turned it down. Uh, also, uh, this is, this is neither here nor there, but Oliver Reed was supposed to be in the, in the movie, but, um, he was, he was replaced for some reason. So also you fucked up getting Oliver Reed. Big mistake. Yeah, that would help. We know how important he can be. Uh, I think it's really funny. But, they had know, a bunch of them these... that were older and then they're just like, they're like all these guys like Michael Douglas and people who are clearly, you know, visibly older than Gina Davis. And at a certain point, they're like, how about Keanu Reeves? <laughs> yeah, like, and, and and at this point, it was it was literally like, I mean, we're, we're going the full gamut here. Like, this is the spectrum of, of male actors in 1995 in terms of, like, age and, and, and popularity and everything. This is just a lot. 
So they, they were clearly trying to give this to anyone with a name and everyone turned it down. And all I'm saying is if in, you know, let's say you're casting this, this, this script drops in front of uh, Charlie Sheen in like 1993, 1994, it is 93, 94. Charlie Sheen is offered $7 million and he says, no, how bad is your movie at that point? Like that's, that's a real that's slap like in the face. Peak cocaine, Charlie Sheen, right? Yeah. Like he's straight up smoking crack rocks at that I point. Mean, logistically, like, nah. logistically I mean, you would have to imagine that this movie, you know, script aside, quality of the script aside, it's probably pretty obvious this is going to be like eight months of being soaking wet a thousand miles from home, which is, you know, and they shot in like mm -hmm. Thailand and stuff. Um, so, yeah, you know, I can understand that. But like seven million is that's quite a lot of money for Charlie Sheen, I think, in the money. 90s. And yeah, 1995. And God, I just, it's wild to me too that this came out the same year as Waterworld too. So imagine those two titans of cinema just Man. <laughs> in your local multiplex. <laughs> the, what a all time washed to be alive. 90s. Literally. <laughs> the, the all epic water adventures nobody wanted apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really wild watching this because again, like, on paper, you're like, okay, all these practical event, uh, uh, all these practical effects and stunts. You've got these gorgeous sets that are just engulfed in fireballs the whole time, and pirates and shit. But it, it, it's so fucking boring and so lifeless. It is wild. Like Gina Davis, to her part, she brings all of the energy of like a, a, a third shift librarian. I, just there's nothing there. It's fucking insane. Yeah, she's she's really all wrong for the part. You know, I know this is their the the duo together, but yeah, she she really does not sell any of the lines. And like we said, the action is all kind of hiding around her stunt double. And like the action, I have to say, he keeps going back to this move formally where like every time a stunt happens, we cut to the stunt happening in slow motion, like as Gina Davis jumps off of a cliff and like it's her stunt double like we go through it in all the aching like frames per second it just it's just such a adds adds nothing really to it but like every stunt is has to be like showcased in this slow motion as if it's the coolest thing but it, it is not at all <laughs> Rennie harlan doing john woo doing pirates it's what we need <laughs> yeah i mean it kind of uh, reminds me say, though see that should oh, sound ahead. amazing but it's not mm-hmm I know when you say it like that. <laughs> well, I'm thinking like in the 90s, it, it reminds me. Remember, who remembers the Fat Boy Slim video of just stuff exploding in slow motion? Right? That's, yeah. that's this movie pretty much. It's the exact same thing. The big difference being the Fat Boy Slim video is like three and a half minutes long. Whereas this, as Jake yeah, mentioned, is over two hours. Mm -hmm. And you feel every minute of it. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there is out of all the uh, you know the the action sequences, which again they're all kind of shit. Uh, there is one that I think stands out as as pretty great, and it's when they're looking for the second piece of this pirate map, and uh, you know shit goes south, and they gotta run away, and everything starts exploding. And it's not a good action scene. There's no good fight choreography or anything going on, but. As they're leaving, there's a bunch of explosions happening, 
and a barrel is kind of shot up into the air from from one of these explosions. And because Rennie Harlan's got to do his slow-mo trick, you watch it in slow motion get blown up into the air and then slowly fall down. And then as Matthew Modine is, is running away, it just cracks him in the back of the head. And it looks very painful. Um, <laughs> and I enjoyed that immensely. But other than that, I, I really don't have much to say about it. And I think that, you know, if you want to know what the essence of Cutthroat Island is, uh, Jack Eason has identified it in in just, I think, like three, four frames. And it is when the crew is being, you know, uh, tortured or, or held captive. And there was a guy who has been flayed and is like bleeding and, and being hung up by his hands. And the actor just kind of looks over and gives this look like, are, are we done yet? Is that the scene? <laughs> the whole movie plays like this. It's yeah, that really was to me was like, OK, I think I think I've pinpointed the problem here. And it's like it's that actor just kind of like he's all drawn up, right? He's got the blood smeared across his back and the visible wounds and everything. You know, it's all competently done. And he's just standing there like he's waiting in line for coffee. There's no, there's nothing going on there. And he just kind of looks over at Gina Davis like, yeah, she's like, and she's rallying the troops like, man, are you with me? Let's rise again and reclaim the ship and on to victory, etc. And he's just like looking over like, oh, OK, yeah, sure. Yeah, the, the, that's like everyone else is just chained into the middle of the floor. And this is just the one guy who was seemingly tortured. And yeah, his the way he looks over, he's like, oh, all right, don't forget about me. <laughs> like, yeah, like uh, maybe you do. Maybe, I don't know. He could still be down. They blow up a lot of ships. I don't you know, I'm, I, it's like the kind of movie that like, honestly, I just memory hold huge chunks of it, like whole action sequences of it, like where they really take over the ship and stuff. It's kind of like it just becomes so monotonous at a certain point. It's um, a it's a weird plot too because it's it's gina davis's uncle who is the villain it's frank langella it, him and his three brothers all have pieces of a treasure map tattooed on various parts of their bodies and they have to get collect the map and hold it up into a mirror and that'll take them to cutthroat island where bit, uh, boundless piles of gold lie um and that that's like the plot it's supposed to be just you know a fun find the treasure adventure story get there before the villain does uh, Langella hams it up a lot, but uh, he said that like this and Skeletor are like two of his favorite roles that he wished that he could live in. Just yeah, I don't know. He found the essence of the character compelling for some for some reason. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, he's not good. This and Masters of the Universe, like I mean, he's not he's he's not particularly remarkable here, but he's certainly I think in both of those films uh, a major part. If you had to listen to pro trying. and con, he's he's yeah. definitely on the pro side compared to everything else going on here. I like the way he overcompensates, to be honest. So yeah, and, yeah anytime he's in a movie where he's like, uh oh, this isn't good, he just cranks <laughs> it to eleven and it makes it better. Uh, he's he single handedly like holds up Masters of the Universe, and this it's just you know the, the weight of of two hand built uh, pirate ships is just too much for him to hold up. So, what's he gonna do? Uh, yeah, but this is this is shit. It's it's not good. Is it the worst thing I've ever seen? Absolutely not. It's it's just completely unremarkable. It's not fun. There's that, there's really it, nothing to hold on to. It's here. that worst kind of bad. Yeah, it's it's like the unremarkable. Yeah. Like they spent this much money to make something that, frankly, children would just instantly forget about. Mm -hmm. And it and it's weird. Like I guess the most unique thing about it is, you know, you have this this old school pirate movie that it, it almost plays like a B movie, and and it certainly was 
was written by people who probably saw Errol Flynn movies, although I don't think they know what make those what makes those movies good. And it just it just misses the point completely. It's, there's no there's no life to it at all. It's it's kind of weird how shitty it is. I mean, if <laughs> you think they becomes, would accidentally stumble into something? Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Is like Gina Davis is the lead, so she's a woman. What does that mean to the fundamental cruxes of movie? Absolutely nothing. I mean, you could swap Modine and Gina Davis and the rest of the movie would be completely unaffected. It is a completely, like, they don't lean into anything. She's not, like, sexy pirate. She's not, like, a particularly badass pirate or, you know, overly competent or, like, you know, sort of, like, anything interesting. She's not, like, Buffy. She doesn't have a particular amount of, like, you know, self-doubt or whatever that she overcomes within the world. She's just a really poorly written character, separate of gender, everything else becomes just just a mush it's it's just kind of remarkable it's that that they could workshop this thing work so hard i mean they cleared they built the sets the carpenters and this thing worked harder than anyone else i think and then mm-hmm. the rest of the movie just sort of just saunters around until i guess they ran out of money and then they just sank the whole fucking studio yeah and Again, like anytime you try to describe it, it sounds better than what it actually is. There's no adequate way to describe this. I was trying to think it was just like, oh, it's like if you went to Waffle House and got some greasy hash browns and then put beluga caviar on top of it. It's like, no, that's gross, but it's more interesting. Or it's like, oh, it's like you, you know, you you got the shroud of Turin and wiped your ass with it. It's like, no, that's that would be funny. <laughs> it's it's a bit There's like nothing here. <laughs> it's a bit like uh, I've heard tell that in like China, and I don't know if this is true or not. A eh, but but that apparently in China, Pops Blue Ribbon have like done efforts to like rebrand themselves as fancy, and you can purchase like PBR, but in like wooden carved cases. You know, like fancy. It's kind of like what Stella Artois did in in America, because in Europe, Stella Artois is just muck. It's just known to be yeah, absolutely piss crap. Beer, the rumor, yeah. the rumor is that it's made out of the drip trays from bars, like every all the other beer that poured in. They they pour that off, and that's Stella Artois. But in in America, it's like reassuringly expensive, and it's it's fancy. There's rumors PBR have done the same thing in China. I don't know. That's a little bit of it. It's like it's a fancy box. You look at your logo. This is attractive. This is nice. It's a PBR. It's just it's just there yep yep uh well you know you'll be happy to know that uh estimates for the production cost of this movie in in 1995 are anywhere from like 98 to 115,000, which puts this comfortably in like eh, the 180 to 200 million uh uh range for like what that would transfer to today so yeah going from 98 to 115 mil then it's it's a lot. It, there's not a lot of things that cost this much money. So, uh, again, it, think of that budget. So, say $200 million, and it makes about $10 million, uh, which is not great. So, uh, I mean... <laughs> And I'm, I'm curious how they even know? made that. How they make, like, $10 million. I have never in my life encountered anyone who has seen this movie. Ever. No, no. And, and, this, and this would have been... In 1995, I would have been 10 years old, and this shit would have been tailor-made for me. 10 years old, a fucking pirate movie. At the very least, I would have watched it on television, because I think it was sure. PG-13, so I don't know if I would have been able to convince the uh, the old parents to take me. But, um, I, you know, I, I, I think that it, it would have been perfect for me. 
and you get you get busty Gina Davis. There's explosions, all these things. There's a Super Nintendo game, all these things. Like, but I never, I never saw this as a kid. I was more familiar with the Super Nintendo game than I was with the movie, simply because. I got Nintendo power in the mail and it was like prominently featured in there. So it, it's, it's just kind of fucking off the wall <laughs> that, I, that no one saw this thing. And then of course what happens is uh, it, it, they end up bankrupting the, the studio. So uh, the studio, what, what is the name of the studio, Jack? Car- Carol keep, Co. Carol Co. Yeah. Uh, basically, MGM was in the process of being sold and they had a distribution deal with MGM. So everything was kind of fucked up there in terms of the promotion. Not that promoting this would have made a goddamn lick of difference because, again, it's just not that great. Uh, Probably would have made a little bit more money. But uh, studio completely ate shit. And I find it very amusing that this studio decided to die in the hands of Rennie Harlan, who went so over budget he had to use his own money to finish this. And... This is so transparently a I want to make this movie with my wife because I am a wife guy movie. And the studio was fine with all of this. And in order to allow Rennie Harlan to make this movie, the guy who gave us, you know, the adventures of Ford Fairlane, like probably four years before this, in order to make this movie, they passed on a, on a script that would have been directed by Paul Verhoeven and starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. They passed on that in order to make Cutthroat Island. They chose Running Harlan. It's it's incredible, yeah. Um, oh, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll say as a positive, it's got that great Drew Sturzen poster, like any of those, you know, like Star Wars and Blade Runner, all those mm-hmm. nice hand-painted posters. Like, you see that poster, and you're like, oh, this, maybe this is some quality. Um, yeah. But no, Once they just... Again. Uh, it's everything about this says this should be better than it is, and it's not. It is a complete anomaly. And there are people that will tell you, oh, it's 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 not, you know, it's it's actually good. You should reassess it. You know, such as uh, Jake's favorite film critic, Scott Mendelson, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who wrote in Forbes uh, just last year, God, Cutthroat Island, one of the biggest flops ever, deserves to be rediscovered 25 years later. And in classic Mendelssohn form, his argument is basically that uh, Wonder Woman 1984 didn't do as well as people thought it would, and neither did Cutthroat Island, so Cutthroat Island is actually why, good. Why would you pull out Cutthroat? Because uh, the thing is, is like Rennie Harlan's wife guy antics did not end here. He would The next movie he'd make is, is The Long go- Kiss Goodnight or whatever. Yep. Is, yeah, right, which is Gina Davis and it, Shane Black's script. Uh, I haven't seen it in a long while, but I remember this movie is actually pretty damn good, pretty entertaining, as I recall it. Also underperformed, so it was, it was still a problem there. But if you're going to try and reclaim it based on, on, you know, it's a woman in the lead or whatever, I mean, the, that's right there. You don't have to go to Cutthroat, which is just an absolute just chore. <laughs> no, it just, just goes straight to Cutthroat Island. Yeah, what a fucking <laughs> long kiss goodnight is. It's right there. It is right there. And... Rennie Harlan, I'm sure you're wondering, you're probably like, oh, I I haven't heard much from Rennie Harlan lately. Like, what's this fucking guy doing? And as we mentioned earlier, he he did de-wife guy himself by uh, bonking Gina's secretary. And uh, he spent some time in China making films. 
And one of the movies he made was Legend of the Ancient Sword in 2018. And if you haven't heard of it, well, that's because it never really played outside of mainland China. And it only made a million dollars, despite being a very expensive state sponsored like the the, yeah. the chinese government like funded how do this you only make a million dollars in china they mandated that the film play in like every movie theater and no one saw it they chose <laughs> staying home over rennie harlan which is wild and that's exactly why even if there was proper promotion for <laughs> cutthroat island i think people still would have stayed home that's the power of rennie harlan the guy who makes uh, one of the biggest flops of all time in America, and then he says, you know what? I can do it in China, too. What a fucking legend. I mean, it's unfair. Like, it's it's confusing, because Harlan, like, I mean, Cliffhanger's pretty solid. Long Kiss Goodnight is pretty good. You know, like, he's not, he's not incapable, but just for some reason, I don't know what happened here. Uh, <laughs> just, just nothing clicked. And I mean, uh, the best I can do, just Freudian-wise, is just to say that this is basically... You know, the marriage was never going to work. He was too busy tinkering with his ships uh, yep. and taking care of his wife's needs, listening to her. I, I imagine Gina was constantly over the side saying, like, Rennie, I don't think I don't think I'm going to be like the Demi Moore action star. Demi Moore was doing the whole action girl thing in the 90s, too, and going much mm -hmm. harder on it than Gina Davis was and getting yeah. a certain amount of fun made of her for it. And yet at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure G.I. Jane is at least in passing more entertaining than this so well jack i mean a fun thing about cutthroat island is you can recast the two leads with almost anyone pretty much and it's a better choice so pick <laughs> your fucking favorite at this point anyways uh rennie harlan wife guy wow bankrupt a studio for his wife when's the last time you bankrupt a studio for your wife think about that huh yeah that's right you probably haven't and, you know, let's let's move on to a, another guy who, uh, you know, he made a wife guy movie. It happens on a boat. And instead of saying like, hey, why don't I bankrupt a major studio? He said, why don't I make a very small movie? And why don't I remake a, a famous and deeply, deeply political Italian sex comedy? But rip out all the sexy stuff and rip out all the politics so all you have are a couple of dickheads on an island and that <laughs> my friends is swept away a film by guy ritchie now you could wife say guy. steve steve you could say that in a sense you've just described the birth of 20 years of reality television <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> so guy ritchie was on to something but yeah. the point of the reality tv generally is that no one's married so they're up for anything yeah yeah guy, guy ritchie invented uh below deck mediterranean <laughs> <laughs> it's a great uh, show that's movie. what i'm putting over this week <laughs> <laughs> this this one's uh bad uh, yeah. You know, unlike Cutthroat Island, this is this is bad. You mentioned uh, stripped out the politics. Uh, the original swept away for anyone who hasn't seen it is yet yeah, stridently political. It is just two people screaming political viewpoints at each other for like the first half an hour, and it's real nasty. It gets because it's, it's not one of these like you know one party's good and the other party's bad movie. No, it's it's about how pretty much everyone's awful. 
depending on who has, you know, control over the situation at a given time. It's a deeply cynical film. Um, I do not understand what was going through Guy Ritchie or Madonna's head that they figured they were the people to reclaim this and bring it, you know, back out. It, absolutely baffling decision. Um, yeah, I, you know, Swept Away is just a remarkable um, misadventure, frankly. Another nautical misadventure. We're two in a row. <laughs> just, I'm so sorry about this, guys. This was all my fault. I was, like, typing away. I remember the night. I was like, oh, Wife Guy films. What are Wife Guy films? This was the last one we settled on, and this one just seemed to fit. <laughs> this seemed perfect. And it, it, this one has a terrible reputation. People, when this came out, Jesus, people were, and, the, and everyone was up for, I, I remember when this came out, I was still in Ireland. And, um, like, people were already, like, on Madonna's case because she had a British accent because uh, she'd moved to Britain with her husband, Guy Ritchie, and she'd started talking with a bit of a British accent. And yeah, all a of a sudden, people, she's an extra in Snatch, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's like... You know, you could handle this as in uh, a lot of people when they move places actually do acquire a bit of a weird accent from doing it. But no, everyone was like, oh, she's putting on airs and she's fancy. It's a fucking Madonna, like a multimillionaire. Um, so it was the whole thing was stupid. And this movie resulted from that stupidity. And uh, again, then they broke up later. So, um, yeah, yeah, we're not on a good track with the wife guys here. We probably we probably should have stuck with like Orson Welles or someone, because then we could have like talk good movies and also yeah. like his. Oh, yeah, could are in yeah. F for fake and the other side of the wind. Yeah, we mm -hmm. Steve, we really fucked this week up again. <laughs> I think I think we did a great job, guys, and I don't think we would have changed anything <laughs> if we come up here. I mean, we could have talked Henry George Clouseau, also wife guy. We could have done like Wages of Fear. No, absolutely not. No, we're on to Swept Away here. Swept and, Away. Um, this is a movie that will not sweep you away at all. It is deeply confusing. <laughs> the middle section of this movie is mostly just a man hitting Madonna, and I'm not sure yeah. if it's meant to be funny or not. It doesn't seem funny. It just seems like a man hitting a woman a lot. And then... In a weird way, too, because he's not like... It, like, it's not done in a comical way. It's not like a Three Stooges, like... Nyah, no. Nyah. Like, it's no. not that. It's and, but this... it's also not, like, brutal. It's just weird i don't <laughs> yeah it's kind of kind of verges on unpleasant i would say like the first half hour where they're all on the boat it's it's very irritating because madonna is is she's just awful in this uh you know sorry she's to say, awful playing but, an awful character but yeah, yeah it's like incredibly one it, note she's just she's, every single scene she's just being shrill it's one note yeah shrill and irritating and the guy's name is giuseppe or pepe but she called like the height of comedy is that she calls him pp -pee -pee over and over again yeah i laughed um, at that and this being a guy Ritchie <laughs> movie for some reason it's it's like the boat scenes are told out of sequence like she'll ask about the gym and then we get into this whole skip forward in time where they tell each other stories about how he brought the gym to her, which is just an exercise bike and a jump rope. And but like, I don't know, it's like there's no reason for it, any of the stylistic flourishes that Guy Ritchie did in his previous and later films. And yeah, so it's irritating. And then, yeah, once we get on the young island, it's like he's just now he's in control because he's he's lived in these conditions and he's just slapping and abusing her. And uh, yeah, it's just imagine spending a movie with the two most irritating characters you could think of. And that's uh, that's it for a slow 90 minutes. Yeah, the, the original <sighs> film pretty like Lena Wertmuller's original film from I think like 1976, I think thereabouts has 
aside from all its like grander political discussions, because the woman in that is she's a rich, wealthy wife of a, a capitalist, an industrialist. Um, she it, there's there's a clear delineation that she represents northern Italy, an industrialized, wealthy northern Italy, and the sailor is Sicilian. He's poverty southern Italy. So there's already an immediate internal boundary between them that defines their their relationship to each other. On top of all the other discussions of capitalism versus communism, that the sailor is a communist, a member of the communist party, and so on, and the original film goes all kinds of places with that really and like I, like I mentioned it comes out really on like you know the communist is he's awful to women he's got incredibly traditional views on women and so on he's not he doesn't represent liberation at all or whatever but yeah this movie they remove all that it says it's Madonna who's a wealthy American in the movie and an Italian sailor of unknown social class I guess he's not wealthy enough you know, he doesn't own the yacht, he works on it, so he's just a regular guy. But, you know, there's no uh, real tension there at all to begin with, other than the fact she's just awful to him, fair enough. And then he starts getting his own back on her. The the, the real issue, I guess, with, with the whole setup, you, you strip out the politics, because they seem like they're worried they might stand for something if they if they mention any of that so they're very carefully like no we don't actually don't worry this is not designed to upset the status quo in any way we will not be discussing politics and then that that reduces really the whole film to just being like it's like a weird um i think i saw someone on letterboxd actually describing like i can't it's it i can't think of a better description for it as just being like a a magazine photo shoot and that's exactly what it is it's the theory of the original film kind of they dressed it up they played it out they made it visually on the screen it's all there and a lot of the scenes here hew pretty closely to the original film in terms of kind of detail and situation and so on they don't really invent a lot of new stuff in this um except for a dance number for some goddamn reason um, but everything else is just, there's no weight to it. There's no impetus behind anything happening. It's just a theory of hardship. No one even looks at it like they're, they're stuck on a deserted island. And none of them look particularly bothered by it. You know, and like they're stuck in a dinghy for days waiting for things. And it's kind of like, oh God, this is really inconvenient. You know, it's it's sort of like there's there's no weight to anything here. And their eventual kind of their their anger towards each other that eventually pours over into some kind of a passion, uh, a very questionable passion, which is much more, <laughs> you know, kind of extrapolated in the original film in terms of, you know, are they really in love or are they, are they both basically role playing kind of new social statuses they can't enjoy in the real world uh, and doing it because it's beneficial to both of them in this situation but it's entirely fake still those questions exist in the original movie they don't exist in this this really just nope. looks like two people who were paid to act in a movie and that's that's the movie it's um yeah i, I again like just like cutthroat island this fucking sucks and it sucks more if you've seen the original. However, I don't know how people can get upset about this. Because I, I was thinking the same thing. I remember because, I, I was, yeah, I was in high school at the time, I think, when this came out. And I remember pe people being like, oh, my God, it's a disaster. Swept yeah. away. Hey, yo, you talk yeah. to anybody. It's just, they're just like, oh, man, that's supposed to be horrible. Like, I, one of my friends was asking me, like, oh, what are, you, what are you guys watching for the po podcast this week? I was like, oh, I gotta watch fucking Swept Away. She's like, oh, I heard that's horrible. Oh, what are you, I can't believe you're watching that. It's like, 
No, it's it's really it's just bland as fuck. And it's it's so insulting to the original that it, it's kind of mind-blowing just how neutered this movie is to the point where Madonna's character is I mean she's a dickhead to to old PP but on top of that it's like her the whole political aspect of the film this it's it boils down to Madonna on a stationary bicycle just riding and then there's a 10 second conversation where she's like capitalism rocks if you don't like capitalism uh, why don't you go uh kick rocks there buddy and then that's it like that's that's the extent of it um and then the the romance i I, i'm kind of not sure how we get there to be honest uh seems like a little bit of stockholm syndrome i guess and and then the, the weird payoff where you know they they get back to the mainland and then oh no she decides to leave him and it tries to go for this weird somber note like i'm supposed to root for their fucking love it's just it's it's asinine it's insulting but it is so bland and toothless you can't really get mad at it right and yet yeah, the rooting for and the, the rooting for her love or whatever is kind of like again it doesn't make any sense it's completely decontextualized so uh, it's just two people it is a story of two people not a system of economics or ideologies it's just two people and they're two people we don't like so yeah yeah, that's that's great. Honestly, I would say the the greatest uh, wife guy achievement of this film is that this film features uh, Elizabeth Banks in one of her earliest roles, and she's just up there on the boat uh, in like a swimsuit in numerous scenes. And the camera, Guy Ritchie, seems like he barely wants her in the shot. She like she disappears completely, and I think that's uh, the ultimate wife guy gesture of the entire project, frankly. Oh, yeah, he's so hyper-focused on Madonna in this, which sucks because her character's terrible, that it, it's funny because Elizabeth Banks' character is supposed to be like, oh, she's dumb. Like, that's her whole thing. It's like, oh, she's just this big ditz. And you really don't get that read on her. <laughs> it's like she's not as big of a dick as everyone else. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's pretty just, much it. Yeah, she's kind of a, you know... Bubbly personality, maybe, and then there's also Gene Triplehorn is the third friend, and I guess she's just supposed to be the alcoholic because she's seen stumbling around with a wine glass. But I, I don't know; they're on, they're on a boat. What else are you gonna do? Yeah, that's what I would do if I was on a boat. I mean, that's what anybody does on a fuck. That's what boats are for. If you're on a boat, you're either driving the boat or you're drunk. That's it. There's there's two levels of boat, and you choose your fucking boat lane. Uh, so. You know, the, the other sad thing about Guy Ritchie as a wife guy here is uh, he he really bought when when the stock was was about to bottom out, because not only did he collaborate with Madonna to make Swept Away, which is a pile of shit. And it's wild, too, because I don't think Madonna's a terrible actress by any stretch. Like she could be fine. Um, Madonna, obviously, pop superstar. And I think that the year after swept away came out she released american life which is commercially and critically her worst album by a country mile and if you don't know american life you're not missing out on anything but the uh the titular single american life you may want to listen to that because you've probably erased this from your memory but it is the song where madonna raps for you and i'm sure you're saying to yourself damn 
I really wish I could hear Madonna do that rap. Do you, are you guys familiar with the song at all? Do you know American Life I by Madonna? I, I think I memory hold that one. I'm sure oh, I must have encountered it. So yeah, it's I'm, it's I'm supposed to be like this this satire. I think is the way that she described it. Of like, oh no, like American consumption is is turning me into this horrible person. But it's basically just her singing about how it's really sad that she has like fucking five servants. And then she does a, a, a rap about like buying a latte. So, uh, you know, when, you, when you're done listening to Wife Guy Robbie Tripp's Chubby Sexy, then what's the second song on your Spotify playlist? Why, it's Madonna's American Life. Uh, there you go. So uh, this is around the time where she was uh, cameoing in, in the James Bond movie, too, I'm guessing. This is the mm -hmm. same year as Die Another Day. Die Another Day. Another the, the film that point. killed the, the Bond franchise until Craig came and fixed it. We're, we're all in on just on films that just straight up killed entire systems like studios, marriages, franchises. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of Madonna as a cultural icon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, if we're assigning songs to each of these films, uh, you know, uh, Cutthroat Island, we're going to we're going to go with Chubby Sexy. Why not? Uh, Madonna's American Life goes to Swept Away. What song should we assign to John Derrick's Bolero? And I'm going to go with Jailhouse Rock. <laughs> um, I was yeah, going to go with Big Girls Don't Cry. <laughs> Okay, so we've done we've done a lot of things for this podcast. We've we've covered Oscar award winning films. We've we've covered the Sinful Dwarf, which feels a little maybe not great to watch watch sometimes. Steve, you took the notes right out of my mouth. I I was oh man, I was gonna say I've seen some things for this show. I've seen a Sinful Dwarf assault chained up nude Swedish women in his attic. Mm -hmm. I've mm -hmm. seen Helitosis. The Legend of Stankmouth, but oh, yeah. nothing compares to the goopy puddles of honey sticking to the nude body of one Bo Derek. Um, it is it is it is vile and disgusting. So this is a movie. Have you ever said to yourself, "I want to hate sex"? I I don't. What am I going to do? Am I going to cut my dick off? Should I be a eunuch? I just can't. I can't. Sex needs to be ruined for me for the rest of my life. And no, you don't have to become a eunuch. Just watch Bolero. It is, it's a self-described adventure and ecstasy, but it is the, like, least sexual, sexual movie I have ever seen in my entire life. It is horrifying. It is a number one worst thing we have ever watched. And on top of that, I feel like by watching it, we have actually committed a crime. So let me, before we get into what this fucking movie is. Yeah, that is a hell of an intro. Uh. This movie, do not watch this, okay? I stole my copy off the fucking internet, and that, thank God, don't fucking watch this on, it's, I think it's on HBO Max, it was on Hulu for a while. Don't fucking watch it. You're going to end up on a goddamn list, okay? So I didn't know anything about this, other than Jack Eason told me to watch it, so he is it's his fault. But there is a character and she is a, uh, like a, a, a young, I believe she's described as a gypsy girl. And 
she is, it, she doesn't serve any purpose, truly. Like there's, I don't know why she's here. She doesn't fucking do, she's, she's just like window dressing. And she is, she's young. Like she's a teenager in the film and she looks young and she is naked in at least a half dozen scenes, including one where she is just, it, it's full frontal. It's full frontal nudity. And you didn't have to do it. John Derrick, there's no. Why are you doing well, this? Well, let's. Why is he doing this? I mean, Steve, let, let's let's discuss Mr. John Derrick. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna discuss Derrick. But we're gonna we're gonna talk about this wife guy in a fucking second. But let me tell you, after watching this, I was just like, man, who the fuck is that? Like, she she looks really fucking young. And so I, I go on IMDb, and it's Olivia Diabo. And I'm looking at her and I'm looking at her IMDb picture. I'm like, I fucking know her. Okay. She's the older sister from the Wonder Years. Sure. Wonder Years. That was in the fucking 80s, right? Like how, how old or young, like how young could she possibly be when Bolero was made? And the answer is she was 14 fucking years old. There was a fully nude 14 year old in this fucking movie that no one seems to give a fuck about. To, to no one cares. Steve, Steve, in a defense, in Mr. John Derrick's defense, <laughs> she yes. does not. This, this, this young, frequently nude adolescent, Jesus Christ. Great, great start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, she keep going. She doesn't, she doesn't have any sex scenes. She just hangs out with other nude women and discusses her body and sexual yearnings. Yes. I, I genuinely, I, I, I was looking into this. Um, this movie was released unrated in the United States and it was going to get an NC-17 and John Derrick was like, absolutely not. I will not compromise my, uh, my, my vision to get it cut to an R rating, which contractually it had to be. This this movie also tanked a studio distribution deal. We're, yep. we're on like our, our running role of wife. Like man's love for his wife has just destroyed so many things. Um, but but so, so he released it unrated in the US. It was later re-rated to R. And so far as I could tell, there's no difference. It was just the same movie. It was just later down the line for home video. It was just rated R. I checked the British Board of Film Certification uh, records there's no record of any cuts in this movie uh, ever you know in its 80s theatrical run and later for home video certification i don't i, I mean i don't know the ins and outs of this legislation because i'm not libertarian but it seems like this shouldn't be allowed this seems like something you're not allowed to do in yeah. to my understanding but you can apparently Think of all the fucking scumbags we've watched for this this podcast over the years. I mean, literally years and years and years. We've covered Jez Franco for the love of God. Like Jez Franco, he 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 always fucking drew the line. All right, who, who directed Powder? <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Victor Salva. Shit. Victor Salva. There you go. This is like. We, well, at least yeah, he went we to prison. About, yeah, he went to prison. Thank the fucking Lord. John Derrick, no, let's, we're just going to let him hang out. It, it's fine. No big deal. That's, and, and Victor Selva, like he was abusing people behind the scenes and then, and then still while he was making his movies, whereas John Derrick is a fucking certified creep. And he just, he, he, he tells you exactly who he is with his films. Like there it is. That's it. And this is a very, 
normal thing for John Derek to do. So if we go back, John Derek is such a dedicated wife guy that he's been married five times. And uh, wouldn't you know, the, the wife's just kept getting younger and younger. And before he met Bo Derek, his future wife, uh, he actually had left one of his wives for a, I think she's like a Swedish girl who was like 19 and didn't speak any English. So there you go. And then he met a 16-year-old at the time, Bo Derek, and swept her off her feet, took her to Europe, and was with her until she turned 18, wherein he took her back to the United <laughs> States and married her. Hey, Steve, totally why, legal, why didn't folks. He, Steve, why didn't he return to the U.S. until she was 18? Well, uh, that's a great question. And according to his online biography, it explicitly says because he was concerned he would be prosecuted for statutory rape. So he was doing the bad thing and he absolutely knew it was wrong and bad and fucking gross. And then on top of that, he decides to make Bolero, which is conceptually one of the most ridiculous fucking things Ever, ever, in terms of like just a concept for a film. So imagine a world where Bo Derek, who, if you know who she is, I got to tell you, it's not for her acting chops. You know who Bo Derek is because there was a period of time in the late 1970s and the early 1980s where she was just hot. She was like an it girl. She was the well, thing. Yeah, she was she was the literal 10 is the, is the thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, of and, the movie. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, so yeah, exactly. this Derek, the uh, director, has cast Derek, the wife, to get frequently nude and have honey drizzled on her body and prance around in fields to the chagrin of uh, staunch English professors. And yeah, it's basically just a film of him flaunting his wife and the stories about her going on this trip around the world to try to find some guy to take her virginity. And yeah, she runs into a sheik who can't do it. And then there's a Spanish bullfighter. And I'm pretty sure she sticks some picador tongs into a bull's back. And uh, yeah, the movie just kind of ends. There's not really not really much of a plot to go on. It's just a it's literally an, a woman's erotic journey from Milan to Minx from Seinfeld. That's it what is. this is. This is Rochelle Rochelle. <laughs> we've we've done it. We've done it. It is it is incredible that the literally the entire premise of this is just Bo Derek is hot. That's yeah, and she the, can't get laid. That's the other thing. <laughs> Bo Derek is fucking hot and she can't get laid. That is the idea for this film. And all she does is sit around in bathtubs and saunas and and all over the fucking place. There's there's a fucking at the at the bullfighter's house, there's just a pit like a like somebody dug a hole and put water in it or some shit. They sit in that too. And it's just all she does is sit around with her friends uh and and a 14-year-old girl and talk about how it sucks that that she can't get bonked. That's it. Like that's her whole thing. And, and even even the idea like she she leaves boarding school and in the opening credits, like as her producer credit flashes across the screen she's like topless and doing the charleston and her whole thing is <laughs> i you know i've i've been prim and proper at boarding school for all these years and now i'm out and i i just i need to get fucked but in a very specific way i need to get banged by a sheik or a yeah. bullfighter or it's it's she, a real she's weird crazy thing. racist basically this is like yeah. exoticism this is exoticism <laughs> yeah. the motion picture the entire thing has aged like 
fucking milk. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. You really get a sense of things because okay, we haven't even mentioned uh, accompanying her on this this international journey of of sexuality is George Kennedy looking more uncomfortable and embarrassed than I have ever seen him before. Uh, as her driver, uh, she strips nude in the the whatever the the grounds of her boarding school and like you say just a charleston an image that's just burned in my brain forever nude charleston is a as not her something producer we needed. credit pops up on the screen we, yeah that's, we, yeah, we that's, that's the movie to that's see that. a really important part yeah and and, yeah. and george kennedy who is her driver who's in her employ just kind of comes up and hands her like puts a towel or over her whatever a blanket around her and he just has this weird moment where he tries to deliver this wistful monologue about how he can't remember the last time he saw her naked was when she was only three or four years old and she's grown so well <laughs> yeah like, like which is definitely oh, a thing that john derrick has said to like all of his nieces oh, 100%. oh god it is absolutely <laughs> horrifying like like it's it's yeah yeah it's like some weird groomer movie but you oh. know kind of sublimated through Bat, like what? What really is frustrating about this movie, aside from most everything else in it, is that this is basically it's a porno. But John Derrick, I think, is genuinely like he doesn't. He thinks he's above porno, and there's this tension to it where it's like, can we get to the fucking please? Like, can we just do that and just maybe? And there's, you know, there's only like three or four sex scenes in the yeah, whole film. There's almost and nothing. He just it's nothing keeps, at all. It's just people sitting around. It's and it's very lush. You know, he's got the production design elements here. I don't know if they even. I don't know if they staged uh, if they dress sets for this or where he just got fucking canon movies to pay for really nice hotel digs. You know, for for sets. Um, it's yeah. It's mostly just a sitting around in like really like fancy looking. You know, but but distinctly European or or Oriental. Uh, you know, very much highlighting the Oriental concept within this, you know, like outdated kind of boomer norms of like, you know, ooh, the the other the the great foreign world, the exotic Orient and Middle East and so on, and just sitting around there just talking, and it just there's like twenty and thirty minutes goes by of just utterly indistinct action that serves no purpose whatsoever, because at the end of the day, this is pretty much just about her meeting guys and being like I want to have sex and the guy going yeah yeah I'd like to bang you and then that not happening for some reason <laughs> and, that's and then the when movie. it finally happens like her whole thing is I have to lose my virginity in a magical way to some fucking fancy boy <laughs> and it doesn't work out with the sheik who just cannot he, he I think he smokes too much opium and he just passes out or some shit but but he does manage to uh, in in the most disgusting <laughs> scene ever. Like this is straight up Cronenberg shit. Okay, <laughs> you think he's just gonna like go down on Bo Derek or something? And then the Sheik, who also as an aside is like whiter than Ricky fucking Schroeder. Just, yeah, he's like it, an Oxford educated she. Like, for all the exoticism, all of the men are carefully moved into a safe space for Westerners. Yeah. <laughs> what cl I mean, classic exoticism, all the brown people are played by white guys. Um, but, so he, so he's like, oh, the milk and honey, and he, and he, and he just like, fucking, it's like he's, he just dumps it all over her, and then it zooms in, and it's all like, 
goopy and and it's just like like you know in in the fly when the fly <laughs> is like regurgitating shit it's it's that but on like Bo Derek's it bush it's like dripping off his face while he's like kissing yeah. her belly and it, it's it's like literally it's like street trash it's like he's melting into her but it's supposed to be sexy well yeah the worst part is she's recounting the story and she's lying on her back and she says as he got close to her it was ticklish so her body would just involuntarily spasm up and her back would arch, which would slam her belly right into his face. And as her belly pulls away from his face, like just all this like dripping Winnie the Pooh honey just is like still connected. Like it looks like saliva threads. It's the it's it's nightmarish how <laughs> we watch oh. that and are now describing it for you, our listening audience. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just just some white guy going poo bear on the pussy. That's what and, we had to sit through. <laughs> and as we've discussed, this is absolutely not the most offensive part of this movie. They they wrap no, that up so that's tight. Like the, that's like the fiftieth worst thing about it. Although I will say, and I was telling you guys this uh, off air, but like while I was watching this, I made the mistake of like. Uh, making a, a frozen pizza to eat with my bolero because I didn't know what the fuck I was getting into, and I have some uh, some hot honey, which is a delicious thing to put on your pizza. So I am quite literally <laughs> holding a slice of pizza and squirting hot honey onto it as this scene unfolds in front of me. Can you imagine? Just did you did you how start awful at the, that was? the tip of the pizza slice and work oh your way God. down? <laughs> Yeah, and I just, I started convulsing. <laughs> I, I couldn't help myself. Okay, uh, so this this is... It, it's, this one's it's bad, guys. This is a really bad movie. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't want to pass moral judgment, but let me just say, if you have seen this, if you've seen this movie once, shame on you. Uh, but maybe, maybe you didn't know what you're getting into. Maybe Jack Eason twisted your arms. And, and as we've said, this is strangely widely available for consumption. Um, but if you have seen Bolero more than once, like you, you're hundred percent on the Epstein flight logs. Like there's, there's no, that's a flat fucking circle. That Venn diagram. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, this is there, there's some just percent. This. this is a hundred percent. The kind of thing that, that a businessman would play, in the background of the hotel room while engaging in deeply illegal sex trafficking activities because they don't believe that, you know, it's really a problem. You know, like what they're doing is like, that's what bad people do, but they're very nice and they like, you know, they give them money. They buy nice things for the girls or whatever. It's like, it, it feels like it has that just remove of like respectability. It's like, no, we paid for all of this. This is fine. Like that's, that's Bolero the movie, the sexual adventure. And it's just, it's creepy as hell and it's incredibly dull and mm -hmm. literally like, I mean, the concept of this is literally like Bo Derek is hot and she is absolutely fine. But that's not really like movies are full of hot people. Normally they have to yeah. do something and there's not a lot going on here. And um, what, what struck the sex me. sex scenes are horrible too. They go oh. on for like nine hours and nothing. And they're just, they're, sh they're so fucking like boring. it's just, yeah it's, it's super very uh yeah like why so esque the room just these extended drawn out hip thrustings 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's like we the, the hip thrusting is like the most they can do because this isn't really porn. This is classy, and it's just yeah, it's, it's like a Harlequin romance, but a probably not even that much fun. It's it's yeah, it's, it's Harlequin romance for like fucking crypto bro libertarians that are like, oh well, age of consent should be mental maturity. <laughs> And it, what yeah. struck me, what, what was interesting watching this, the only thing that was interesting to me, is I noticed there was a couple of overlaps with uh, Night Dreams, a, a actual porno I watched semi-recently, directed by Chris Dahlia, or was it Francis Dahlia? I think it's Francis Dahlia, uh, who goes by FX Pope, who is like one of the interesting Chris experimental... Chris Delia. Chris Delia <laughs> has probably done more illegal things than Francis Delia. He probably Actually, likes Polaro. He, he owns Polaro's movies. This is like where you know somebody who checks out a copy of Mein Kampf at the library and they get their account gets flagged. If you buy a copy mm-hmm. of Bolero, you should be put on the same list. Right, same and Bolero list. is available on Blu-ray somehow. It was packaged in with another movie. You get this your fucking library. <laughs> like, it's a, I don't understand. It's crazy. But right, so, so I watched Night Dreams, which is like an actual porno. And I was watching it, uh, I saw it recently, and then I was watching this movie, and there's a couple of overlaps in this, uh, particularly uh, kind of an Arab scene, like a sex scene set in like a, a, a bazaar, you know, kind of like a Middle Eastern bazaar, generically apportioned. And then this, uh, the final sex scene in Bolero, where you know, they finally consummate their relationship uh, after bullfighter guy gets his nuts removed by a bull or whatever. I don't know. I was, I was ve- mostly unconscious at this point um the, that sex scene has a lot of in common with one of the final sex scenes in in night dreams and i was thinking to myself it's like oh this is interesting this seems like um maybe night dreams was parodying or specifically drawing from bolero but then i did the math and i found that night dreams was made at least two years prior to bolero so at best bolero is a bad ripoff of an hardcore porn movie um <laughs> which is not normally how feature films relate to hardcore porno um yeah. so th- this is really tremendously just underrealized in every single way um it's it's just hard to uh kind of point out like like cutthroat island it's a very it's quite an attractive looking film everything is well lit and well kind of staged out it's got a very lush production design lots of things in each scene all you know costuming is all very shimmery and fancy and everything and but it's just there's no purpose to anything occurring here beyond just like do you want to see bo derrick naked and it's like like, there were already magazines with that. They can't so, even handle the simple premise that they set up, which is uh, Bo Derek needs to get laid. She needs to lose her virginity. Like, that's that's her arc, right? Like, she just needs... That's her fucking quest that she needs to go on, is to lose her virginity in some exotic way. And she does about an hour into the film, and then it keeps going for another hour. And why, why? Because we have to get this like fucking Ernest Hemingway sun also rises horse shit where a bullfighter becomes impotent. And then uh, Bo Derek fixes his dick by uh, uh, riding a horse naked and killing a bull. (laughs) It's, it's full of, it's full of like masculine imagery, none of which relates to anything convincingly. And yeah, I don't even understand if you're making a movie like this, why does it have to be a love story? You know, like why do we need a great sweeping romance element? 
Uh, also, she marries the first. Like she's so gung ho to get railed by a stranger, <laughs> and then she fucking marries like the first guy that she sleeps with. She sleeps with him one time. He gets gored by a bull, but not in the dick. But then he, but then he's like, my dick doesn't work, and and then he's he just ignores her and won't leave his bedroom. And she's like, this this is the guy. I I got to spend the rest of my life with him. Even by the end of the movie, she sleeps with him twice, two times. That's, that's, right, that's the whole thing. I feel like the final sex scene is entirely in slow motion in my memory. Just like the whole thing, it feels like it is. Oh, I, it, it never, it's it's the fucking worst because it's, it's in <laughs> slow motion. There's like a fucking fog machine going and then there's just a neon purple sign that says ecstasy, but it's spelled wrong. And that's spelled sexy. Yeah, it's it's really it's really great. And the biggest disappointment of the whole thing, and, and this is a film littered with disappointments, let me tell you, uh, they, they really don't lean into the uh, the the sexy Scottish man subplot enough because that is that's why <laughs> I've forgotten the we sexy Scottish guy. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, she because she really needs a friend in this movie. Why does she need a friend? Someone to talk to while she's nude in a bathtub. That's why. And her friend is like this mousy girl, and uh, but but she's got to get railed too. And somehow, while Bo Derek is rehabilitating the bullfighter's dick, she gets stuck running his wine business. <laughs> It's sure. a movie. It's a movie that's so thin that yeah, like you literally described it. It's like while the main character is busy doing something that isn't actually that interesting, the movie mm -hmm. just shifts to a secondary character to just fill time. But it's like yeah. the movie could have just ended. It was done. No, it could have just it, yeah. This movie could have ended at any point, really, and it could have ended after the Charleston. Everyone would have been a lot better off. And. So, but, but anyways, she's running this business and then a guy walks in, a Scottish guy walks in in a kilt and he's like, oh, hey, lassie. And she's like, ha ha, you're wearing a dress. He's like, it's not a dress, it's a kilt. And then they have this back and forth and then they sleep together and that's it. And then, oh, I mean, what the, George Kennedy gets laid at some point too. He just runs off and fucks the maid. I don't, and, and then, and then the, the gypsy girl gets kidnapped. Right? That happens? No, no, Bo, Bo Derek gets kidnapped by the Bo sheik. Derek gets he comes by back. By the sheik? Yeah, okay. he, he comes they, back. He's like, no, I must have you. And she's like, but I'm not a virgin anymore. And he's like, well, that's okay, you know. And then I actually, I don't remember how she comes back from that. I literally, I think my just brain refused to acknowledge yeah. about 10 minutes of the movie around that point because I just didn't understand why any of this that, is happening. No, and, and, then, and then there's another point too. It's almost like, John Derrick realizes at some point that that you can't just stare at his wife's tits for two hours. Like there has to be more to the movie. And he's like, ah, fuck, something's got to happen. Same thing. They're having like a sauna scene where they're like, oh, your breasts are so supple. Not as soft and supple as yours, my dear. Ha ha ha. And then like one of uh, Broken Dick Bullfighter's ex-girlfriends bursts in with a knife and they have to like fucking wrestle a knife away from her That's right, and then just lock her in a random dungeon or yeah, something a rat cellar. yeah it's it is it's 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 
bizarre because essentially, like, I mean, it's a classic softcore plot element. It's like the just mm-hmm. unreasonably horny woman who who wants to have sex. And, you know, there's uh, literally thousands of movies made from 1968 to present on that exact topic. But Derek seems to be absolutely convinced that he can't just make that movie. That would make him some kind of like, it would be cheap and tawdry. And he has too much respect for his wife and for his art to do that. So he just makes like a, just a meandering shaggy dog story around. It's like, it's like, it's like a drunkard at a bar trying to tell someone about a hookup they had, but they just keep losing track of where they're at. And they just start telling you about other stuff they also did around the same time. Derek is he's he's too good for softcore pornography. So in, instead of the, the the modern filmmaker who feels like they need to elevate horror, John Derek's like, no, we're elevating pornography. That's and, it. Yeah, uh, it's like a quiet place. Exactly. It's like Jim from the <laughs> office is like, you know, no, I'm above horror cinema. I, I, <laughs> I make something better than that. And it's like, no, it's actually considerably worse than both real cinema and the junk you think you're better than. Bolero is both worse than normal dramas and also worse than actual hardcore pornography because mm-hmm. it delivers and on prob- nothing. And it should be illegal, honestly. And, like and, <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally the only it's thing... doing this, crimes. <laughs> literally the only thing this delivers is credible statutory rape allegations. Yep. And if that's what your movie is bringing to the table, that is extremely bad. That's so <laughs> bad on so many levels. And they yeah. don't we just, want, we just want to make sure that the, the optimism vaccine firm stance is established here. <laughs> how, does, bad. How, how is this legal? I don't understand. I mean, there's because I know like uh, I, I seem to recall like the Godfather part two. There is uh, Ma- Michael Corleone's Italian girlfriend, the actress they found for that, who I think was just some girl they saw in Italy. Like she she appears topless in that. And I think the actress was like 16. And that seems dubious, but 16 is, I think, hovering somewhere around an age of consent in Europe. Uh, so it's one of those things you're like, well, that seems shitty, but like, I guess it's the letter of the law, whatever, you know, exactly the line where you really, really probably don't want to be like trying to figure out where your stance is. But this is like, this just seems clearly wrong. I don't understand how this worked at all. I don't understand how the MPAA of all fucking people, people are like, oh, what? There's like gay people in Midnight Cowboy? Slap an X rating on it. Uh, how they came to this in the like the 80s at any point and were like, eh, that's fine. I got well, it. You know, you, you'll be glad to know, gentlemen, that uh, as we mentioned earlier, this did pretty much tank uh, Canon Films distribution deal with MGM. Uh, MGM at the time was upset because they felt like Canon was just giving them garbage, which <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, what did you think you fucking signed up for? Yeah, I'm just saying, so, did they see Canon movies before this? <laughs> well, and, and then this was this was screened for for MGM execs, and apparently their feedback was, this is the same like shitty, boring garbage that you keep giving us. And again, I would argue, based on my limited knowledge of of MGM distributed Canon films, no, 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 this is worse, (laughs) okay? And their only studio notes were, it it needs more sex. And John Derrick was just like, no, 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 this is is my vision. So uh, as evil and fucked up as as John Derrick is, was, uh, at least... He wasn't a studio who, you know, some studio exec who watches Bolero. And out of all the responses you can have, 
mentally, emotionally to a movie like Bolero, I don't think the appropriate response is it needs more sex. I mean, I, I, I have like sympathetically what this movie needs is to remove most of the people in it. And replace yeah. it, yes, with with sex, probably hardcore sex, mm-hmm. and just and just market it off the back of like, um, oh, what's the heck's the name of the the Caligula, right, or something like that. Just just stab like like the most daring movie since Caligula and throw it out on video in 1986 or whatever, and mm-hmm. probably would have made a fuckload more money than Bolero actually oh, made. Yeah. And if this also, was an actual porno, then yeah. I mean, it would have made a, a and, and a also would have been dollars. more fondly remembered you know Mm -hmm. because you'd at least look at it and go well this is a bunch of people who just just got some money whereas this is like this is not an admirable project in any way shape or form nothing about this is even interesting we don't like Bo Derek's acting capabilities are not tested she's not an interesting character there's no arc to this she doesn't demonstrate anything she just gets naked a bunch which you already did in other movies Mm -hmm. and and print media it's just an oh. utterly boring kind of a film, and it just really, like, honestly, it what feels like... What a horrible like, thing for you to do to Jake, Jack. I hope you're really I, happy I'm with yourself. I'm so sorry, guys. This, You know, I'd only seen... Like to say, I, I first encountered this movie uh, really late at night on, like, Irish television. Um way back when there was there was a new tv station in town in ireland uh and they i think were trying to differentiate themselves from like the the regular raft of of irish broadcasters of which there were i think three other ones at the time we had like three tv channels and they were the fourth um and they decided over valentine's weekend they were going to play sexy movies late at night which in ireland is is actually a daring move in the 90s or whenever i must have been the 90s when they did this uh you know because ireland is ireland so you know you, you didn't do that so they played bolero and i'm guessing they probably played it unedited because apparently no one's bothered by the stuff in bolero that seems troubling um i don't remember any of that i don't think i watched a lot of it but i do remember i was i was up at like 2 a.m for some damn reason and flipped over and i saw the honey scene and it was just like what is happening and i think i guess at a certain point i left because i'm quite certain i did not stay because this it was definitely around 2 a.m and the movie would have still been going for at least another hour at that point so there's no way i was hanging around until 3 a.m after that but uh, that was all i remembered and then the wife guy idea came up and i was like well how bad could it be and it turns out quite bad so i I guess we at least tack that one down uh we don't Mm. need to do bolero revisited in 10 years uh, (laughs) if 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 we wanted to get crazy here and i'm so sorry i'm bringing this up and putting the idea in your heads but would you believe that john derrick is so much of a wife guy that he directed three other films with bo derrick as his lead like it's it's couple therapy here are the titles fantasies Mm-hmm. Tarzan the Ape Man. Oh Lord! And mm-hmm. Ghosts can't do it. Wait, do do what? <laughs> just what? a guy with like a phantom wiener, just like ah! It's the ah. opposite of Bolero. It's a ghost who's trying to bang like the, uh, Bo Derek. He can't the, do it. The, the oh, oh my, okay. <laughs> just okay. I clicked on the Wikipedia. I have to bring this up. Quick Wikipedia page. Ghosts can't do it. Second line. Future U.S. President Donald Trump appears as himself and received a Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Supporting Actor. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you brought oh. up the Golden Raspberries, actually, because uh, that, that's fine. Okay, that's probably notable. Not every, not every bad movie has a fucking American president in it. 
Um, but no. we, we mentioned Laura Dabo and, and her very questionable role in this. Uh, th- this movie, Bolero, I believe, was her second film role ever after the second Conan movie, which I do Conan the Warrior or Conan the Destroyer, whichever <laughs> one it is. Destroyer was second, yeah. So, yeah, so, so that, that, they were both releasing the same year. These, these are her first roles for a girl who's uh, like 14 in both movies. And the Golden Raspberries decided upon seeing Bolero with a, featuring a 14-year-old girl in various states of undress, uh, decided a good thing to do would be to gang up on her and nominate her for a Worst Actress Raz- Razzie, or a Worst Supporting Actress Jesus. Razzie. It's like, what the fuck, guys? I know the Razzies are like, they suck deeply, but this is just, I think this may be the worst thing I've ever read about them doing. It's like, nah, she's like, maybe get her a lawyer. I don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything. I mean, even if it's terrible or whatever, even if she wasn't like nude in the movies, she's 14. If she's bad in a movie, it's not her fault. Yeah, and, and not doing? a classically trained actress either. Uh, John Derrick discovered her on the beach. I'm wow. sure he did, probably with a pair of binoculars. <laughs> like, to all, the whole, all these movies just the feel oversized like, net. <laughs> these movies are just clearly they're therapy. Like this, these, these, all these movies have the feeling of like John Derrick can't bang his wife, so he made these movies instead. Good That's God. absolutely the feel I get from <sighs> this. We are engaging in another couple's kink by watching these movies. And it, it's unsettling, but it's also weirdly boring. And that's yeah. really offensive. Like this, they should be, these these movies are like, they should be just orders of magnitude, just filthier than they are without committing crimes. They could have <laughs> done that. Um, and that's that's Bolero. Like, just imagine a movie that is like absolutely, you know, completely lacking in any kind of merit whatsoever, and also isn't porn. And that's mm-hmm. the movie. What a sad state of affairs. It's awful. Well, uh, you know, I, I know we plan on talking about Bolero for six hours, but uh, in, <laughs> in the. <laughs> I unfortunately am, am unable to commit that much time as much as I'd love to talk about uh, more of that dripping milk and honey. So, uh, Jake, what are you putting over this week? Well, speaking of six hours, uh, debated what I wanted to put over, but uh, I decided Polaro I'm going to... three times? No, I'm going <laughs> to... Something much more entertaining than that. I'm going to go ahead and put over uh, the Beatles' Get Back, uh, put it on in the background as I was doing some editing, and... Uh, had a had a really fun time just casually watching this over the course of several nights. It's the uh, the footage that Peter Jackson and his team found and restored, which uh, shows the Beals meeting in several studios and putting together their uh, last album, which they did in, in about three weeks. And all of this culminates in their 40 minute rooftop concert that uh, got shut down because the police received too many noise complaints. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm a big fan of just casual hangout cinema. And uh, if you just want to see the Beatles, the most famous band of all time, hang out and make music together, I think this would be right up your alley. Uh, the only issue I have with it is that Peter Jackson took it upon himself to digitally smooth out their faces. So Ooh. there are times where you're looking at like waxy puppets of the Beatles. But uh, if you can get through that, uh, I would say the get back is a lot of fun. Mm. Al Pacino Irishman vibes. 
it's it somehow worse than that. I don't know why oh, he just Jesus. didn't embrace the the film grain yeah. of it all. Because yeah, weird. it just it just like Ringo's face in particular really just <laughs> suffers. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 good good times, good music, not good digital smoothing. But uh, <laughs> also uh, check out Wordle, uh, fun free puzzle of the day. Oh, it's all everywhere. Right. Yeah. yeah, I know it is fucking everywhere. Uh, Jack, what are you putting over? Well, I, I'm I was thinking of just putting over a, a sex trafficking intervention group, but you know whatever, it's too late now. Um, so I'm instead just going to put over another weird movie, but weird good. Uh, the other night I watched Eyes of Fire by Avery Crounce, I believe his surname uh, is, which is included in Severin's amazing folk horror box set, All the Haunts Be Ours, which starts with like a three hour documentary about folk horror and then has about like seven more discs of folk horror movies from all over the world, from America and Britain and Poland and Russia, uh, all all kinds of stuff. Uh, Iceland even is represented. You know, it's it, they really dug into some unusual, unexpected corners. Uh, and Eyes of Fire is really unusual and unexpected. A strange film set in the the American frontier in the 1750s. A group go out to set up their own new camp, basically. Uh, set up their own kind of civilization and find themselves in the throes of various different witch powers in the forest. Um, really odd film, very atmospheric, very much predicated on kind of like just giving, like don't try and follow the story. It's really, it's surprisingly action-packed. A uh, huge amount of special photography effects. That seemed to be uh, Avery Krause's uh, specialty as a, as a stills photographer previously. He's exceptionally good at uh, photographic effects and kind of like, you know, post-processing and in-camera stuff. So yeah, Eyes of Fire is really unusual really strange i believe prior to this was only available in like a really crappy vhs version uh this looks beautiful this is like widescreen hd restoration from the original negative it looks really really great and the film needs to look great because it's really all about the visuals so yeah eyes fire it's it's better than any of the crap we just talked about all right well this week, I, uh, I had to cleanse my palate because, uh, I mean, look, look what Jack's done to us. Look what, look what I've had to fucking watch. We'll try harder so, next time. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I, I, I watched a lot of good shit. I, uh, I rewatched Ghost in the Shell. That's fantastic. I rewatched uh, Blue Collar. Great Paul Schrader joint. You can't go wrong there. And, you know, the thing I'm going to put over, though, it's kind of weird because we, we know those are good movies. I don't need to tell you those things are fucking good. You know what's better than you think it is? And it's not great, but it's better than you think it is. And and maybe that's what you need in your life right now. When was the last time you watched Flatliners? And the answer is, why the fuck would I watch Flatliners? It is this weird time capsule of the late 1980s, early 1990s. Uh, where all the all the sexy people are collected into one super sexy group to do sexy things. Also, Oliver Platt's there, and uh, I mean, he's clearly the sexiest of them all. And it's wild because I have immense respect for movies that just don't make a lick of fucking sense, but they but they just ride it. They just commit. 
And that's exactly what Flatliners is. So these these doctors are, you know, their med students are chasing this high of like what happens after you die? Like, what do you see? And then so they, they literally kill themselves and bring themselves back to life. That's that's the concept. But then what happens is, is you like you're haunted by your childhood trauma or something or some like psychological. I, I don't know. It's weird. Basically, it's like all the people that you made fun of when you were a kid come back and like try to murder you. And sometimes they're already dead and sometimes they're still alive. It makes no fucking sense, but it's so stylish and just super, super underrated. So yeah, watch Flatliners. It's fucking fun, man. It's a good uh, Sunday afternoon hangover movie. So there's a, there's a great line. Well, since you've said it, I have to bring this up. There's a great line in the movie pop star, never stop, never stopping where the roadie played by Bill Hader likes to flatline himself on each of their tours. And he says, I got the idea from Flatliners. It's a Joel Schumacher movie, shot by Yann DeBont. <laughs> Just the way he delivers that line is hilarious. Dude, Schumacher's like, he's got to be the king of like, I am going to commit 110% to like stylishly creating this trash movie. Yeah. I, no one does it like him, man. Until the bitter end, yeah. Until the bitter end. So, uh, yeah, Flatliners, great. Uh, Popstar, also good. Watch that shit, too. Anyways, if you enjoyed today's podcast, uh, wonderful. If you've seen Bolero more than once, uh, I've already called the police. If you enjoyed the podcast, though, please do us a favor. There's a link in the description that'll take you to our Patreon page. And uh, you can give us a couple bucks. And if you donate any amount of money, I will send you a personal film I, personal film? No, that sounds like I'm sending you like a home movie. Like, a, ooh, Steve's Dirty Film Collection. No, I'm going to send you a, a film from my personal collection of movies that I have. So maybe it'll be a Blu-ray, maybe it'll be a DVD. Uh, maybe it'll be a VHS of uh, Jack uh, jerking off to to pictures of uh, Bo Derek. We don't know. You, you, got, you got any copies of Bolero you can send out? <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to send... I'm going to send you a, a dirty, sticky copy of Bolero on VHS that I found at a pawn shop. No, you, I mean, you could get anything. Who knows? Who knows? You might get a laser disc. It's entirely possible. Uh, but yeah, if you donate any amount of money, you get a free fucking movie in the mail. That's pretty cool. Uh, if you donate more, then you can get perks such as uh, getting your name read on the air. That's cool. Or even more money... Uh, you can you can dictate an episode, an entire episode. I think it's like the the twenty dollar uh, mark is is where you get to tell us what we do for an episode. So if you want, you know the the other three John Derrick uh, films that star Bo Derrick, if you want if you want that that Trump one fantasy, what's it called? Your money will be refunded. Fuck <laughs> your money will be refunded. <laughs> the Trump one is ghosts can't do it. Ghosts can't do it. Uh, and I'm sure you're, if you're like, hey, the, these guys gotta they gotta do it. It's ghost can't do it. Uh, it. That that could happen. Anything is possible, almost. So, uh, yeah, just uh, give us a couple bucks if you can. Be super helpful. Podcasts are expensive. Also, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, um, optimismvaccine at gmail .com. You can send it there. Tweet at us at optimismvaccine, and you will probably say hello. So, Jake, last word's yours. The hottest erotic film of the century. My girl chubby sexy. Collarbone needs a good